powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Comes to the plate. The pitch. Swing on the miss. They get him. Oh, baby, what a slider that was. Top of the zone. Paul Seawald with a dramatic strikeout. Paul Seawald joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline from Arizona. And Paul, I have written down in my notes for our conversation pitch clock and dad things. So I'm going to start with dad things. <laughs> Two things I wanted to cover with you. Uh, how, how was time, uh, time away from baseball for a bit to spend time with the family? How was that? Time away from baseball is it, it's twofold. It's very, very sad because we love baseball season, but it's, it's very nice to have extra, extra family time. And, and uh, you know, especially when you have a little one, it, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. We had a great, we had a great off season. Um, watching my daughter grow up is, is pretty amazing. And, but it's, you know, it's baseball time and, and she'll, she'll understand at some point that, that dad has to go to work. Right. All right. She went dad things. I'm a dad. I should have went dad things. I know. I took, I'll I took flip your thunder. It. I'll go. I'll and go, you're a girl dad. I'll go pitch clock. Yeah, I'm a girl dad too. I'll go pitch clock. Um, when, when the rules were, were set and you saw the time that you were going to have to get a pitch off, what was your initial reaction? Did you feel like you had to change something? Have you practiced it? Um, what are your overall thoughts and feel on that 15 or 20 seconds? So my overall thought is that it's a little too quick. Um, you know, you're going, you're, you know, they did that in the AAA, and then they made the games about two and a half hours, which is just, it's pretty quick. You, you'd be shocked to see how quick a two and a half hour game is. Um, I, I think we need more fast play rather than, you know, the time of the game. Obviously, it's not a concern in the NFL because there's more happening. So, but that's just my personal opinion. And, and but nobody really cares my personal opinion. I'm going to have to follow the rules just like everybody else. So for me, it's something that I'm going to have to work on a lot in spring training because, um, you know, I was one of the slower ones on our team. I'm going to have to shave down that time by about six seconds. So uh, it'll be just, I think it's just going to come second nature. I'll just have to fix a little bit in my routine, figure out what's necessary, what's what's not necessary. Uh, Me and Kyle are going to have to work quick on the pitch call and, you know, we'll, we'll be fine come game time, but it it is something that I'm probably going to have to work on in spring training games for sure. So tell us a bit about that. Like what's that routine is you and Cal just kind of take, you know, maybe an hour or two after, you know, practice each day or after some of the games and just, Hey, I'm just going to go through my routine and try to speed it up and speed it up and speed it up. I think just telling him like, Hey, we can do the pitch call as quickly as you, as quickly as you can think of a pitch call for the next pitch, send it. I'll shake it off or, or acknowledge it. And then for me, it's like, okay, that's already, you know, we already shaved down one second of trying to, you know, get ready and then get the pitch. I can get it when I'm coming back to the mound. And then for me, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, in live BPs trying to like essentially have a coach say, all right, that's 15 seconds and trying to figure out, okay, like when I do my normal routine, where does that land me? Um, What's maybe unnecessary trying to slow the game down and what's, what's something that I absolutely have to do to make sure that I get to that 15 second mark. It's clear, catch, um, excuse me, uh, pitchers and catchers put the most stress on their bodies throughout a game. And with the game being sped up, has that changed your off-season training, your conditioning? Have you have you altered anything, or is it more just going out there and getting a feel? I think it's more just getting a feel for it. You know, I you know I've been the big leagues for most of the last six years and haven't really had to acknowledge the pitch clock. And so for me, it's just kind of it's just going to be something different, and I'm just going to have to get in games and practice it. Uh, practice it in live BPs a couple of times, kind of make sure that I have a coach saying like, all right, that's 12 seconds or that's 13 seconds or, you know, that's 20. And, you know, you just had two balls called on you. Um, so I think it's just something that you got to practice in a game, game like situation. 
And then, you know, that's what spring training is for. Yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to have seven or eight outings and we can see just exactly how far or how quickly, how quickly 15 seconds comes in a real game. And, and then we'll go from there. Hey, so uh, there are a couple rules being implemented for the 2023 season. Obviously, pitch clock, which we've talked to you about, that one's going to affect you most. But there are also limited pickoff attempts, bigger bases, which will probably affect you the least. And then the shift, which is going to it'll affect pitchers. It's mostly for, obviously, uh, position players, but it's still something you need to be aware of, right, defensively. Uh, what do you think overall of the group of rules being introduced this year? Yeah, I think they're just trying to get more action in the game, which I think is something that we could probably use. Um, we've kind of gotten to this point where the walk, the strikeout, and the homer are the ultimate three plays in baseball, and that's what you're judged on most as a pitcher. It's what you're judged mm-hmm. most on as a position player. So we put a premium on it on both sides, and then that's kind of what you're looking for. And at this point, maybe it can get a little bit boring. You can have you know an hour of game where only you know five or six balls are put into play because the pitcher is you know striking a couple guys out. Maybe he walks a guy. Um, you know, and the stolen bases. You know, statistics have said that it you know it's very it's not worth the risk of stealing bases for what happens if you get thrown out. Um, so analytics have driven us to think like stay on base. Maybe somebody hits a two or three run homer. That's kind of the way to play. Maybe with the pitching being so well, as good as it is now, maybe the homers aren't as much in play. Maybe if we can steal a base and move a guy over, um, you know, the stolen base is an exciting play. Everyone in the stands is watching it. It's mm-hmm. usually bang, bang. And that's why we have the bigger bases. And so, you know, maybe it will increase. It should increase a lot of stolen base attempts. At least we'll see if, you know, if it, if it drives more stolen bases, a little more action. And, and, you know, even as a pitcher, I do at sometimes feel bad when I throw a pitch down the middle guy whacks a ball and it feels like it's in right field and that's an automatic single. And the second baseman's just standing there, catches on the line and starts throwing it around. You can just tell from a hitter's perspective. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm hitting the ball on a line where there hasn't been somebody for the last 150 years of baseball. Now there's somebody standing there. So, you know, that'd be something that we have to take into account, but, um, I'm more of a fly ball pitcher anyway, so hopefully it won't, you know, impact my game too much. But it's just it's another one of those things where it's the rule is the rule and you know, there's nothing I can do about it other than just adjust. Paul, I do love the idea of you feeling bad when someone hits into the shift that you're pitching to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean I'm excited, but I'll go back and look at it and be like, Well, oh, you know, that wasn't for that guy. but technically <laughs> like uh, it sucks for that guy, but I do need to be a little bit better because that was a line drive right at somebody. Yeah. But I think over the course of over the course of the season, it pretty much evens out. You know, I'll give up a ground ball that goes the opposite way where there's nobody standing there. So overall, I kind of thought that the shift worked itself out, you know, the way it's supposed to. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, if they're looking for more action, maybe we'll get a little bit more action. Paul, it was fun to watch you guys last year, man. You gave um, this town, the city, something to root for. And going into last year, we were optimistic, you know, as fans, as analysts, Going into this year, we're extremely excited. You know, we think that there's a, a good ball club that you guys have over there. What's the confidence level of this team as a whole? Is it different from last year? Do you feel like guys are even more bought into the process and believe in what you guys are doing? I think last year was different because it was kind of a rush spring training because we had the walkout. And then, you know, we still had that playoff drought thing sitting over our heads, you know. And so there was optimism, but you still had to climb that hurdle and and we hadn't at this point. Now we've done that. Now that's not a question just as like, how far can we go in the postseason rather than, you know, you haven't been there in 21 years. So I think there's that added um, sense of relief that we don't have to worry about that or answer those questions anymore. Um, and it's more about just like, Hey, how good is your team and how does it stack up in the American league? And um, I think anybody who watched this last year thinks that we stack up just as good with anybody in the league. And, you know, the Astros swept us, but they also swept the Yankees and, you know, 
probably should have won the World Series in five games. They're a really, really good team. And, you know, we were still within three pitches of sweeping them. So that's kind of, I think, the feeling is that we weren't that far from them last year. They've had some changes to their roster. We've had some changes to our roster, and we're hoping that we can gain, gain some momentum on them. Do you find that that feeling, going off of Bump's question, has left you guys simultaneously feeling, yes, more excited, but almost like hungrier and more, not unfulfilled, but you're like, we were there. We knew we could have taken them. I mean, I know you guys were swept by the Astros, but you were in every single game. Yeah, I think... I think there was a sense of a little bit of frustration there in October when everyone went home, like, gosh, like Mm -hmm. that, that could have, that just as easily could have been us sweeping them and then rolling the Yankees and going to the world series. And there was a sense of frustration, but I think, you know, when November and December rolls around and start to do more baseball activities, you start to think about like, gosh, that taste of the postseason was really nice. And and the crowd that we had at T-Mobile Park for that game three was amazing. And it was disappointing that we only had one home game and, you know, it would be great to have three, four, you know, seven or eight home games. Um, and you kind of start to use that as motivation of, I really enjoyed the playoffs, but we weren't there long enough. So let's, let's go back and let's do it a little bit longer. We're, we're pretty familiar with your role when you're on the mound and on the field, what's your role in the clubhouse and, you know, during spring training, how do you connect with guys and, and where do you think you fit in when it comes to the, to leadership? I think, you know, it's difficult in spring training. It's, you know, it's very segregated in the fact that the position players do their thing. Most of the time, the pitchers do their thing. Most of the time, um, you know, pitchers don't play in the game. They don't even go to spring training games. It, you know, it's kind of, so it's difficult to establish that like real like team bonding in, in the spring training setting. So for me, it's just trying to make sure that like, you know, you try and sit next to somebody different at the lunch table or the breakfast table and kind of like ask them where they're from or kind of just, you know, you try to make sure you're not sitting with the same guys over and over and over again, even if those are, you know, my relief buddies who I spend the most time with. So for me, it's just trying to like, trying to establish that. And then, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of evenings off. So maybe we can do a couple of team members where, you know, I kind of sit with guys that I don't normally know and we can kind of get to know each other and, um, you know, but it's hard because everyone has families and that sort of thing. But, you know, Scott does a good job of making sure everyone kind of introduces themselves up in spring training, you know, before, before we get started with the day. So uh, there's plenty of different things that we can do, but you know, it is difficult and, and, um, you know, the long, the long plane rides are usually the best way to, to really get to know guys. And that's, that's really when it comes during the season. Is there anyone that you found yourself, you know, kind of getting close to, or now you'd consider a friend, you know, as a teammate that you maybe never thought you'd be that tight? Oh man. You know what? I, we just have, we really have a great group of guys that I feel like everyone is pretty friendly with each other. It doesn't really feel like gosh, I'm not going to like that guy. And then you end up really right. liking him. I, yeah, I, I found that, I found that, you know, this organization does a great job of hiring great people from the top down. And that includes the team. Um, you know, we just don't really have any like bumps on the log, like really guys that only care about themselves. Like we, you know, we just have a really good group of guys. And so, you know, today's the first day I got here and, you know, it's just good to see everybody and everybody's excited to see me and everyone's excited to see each other. And it, you know, it's just kind of, we just have a good vibe in here. And, and, you know, so there's no really like, um, didn't think I would like that guy. Now we're best friends. It kind of like, I'm pretty friendly with everybody and everyone's really friendly with everybody. I should have realized I asked you basically without realizing it to be like, who did you hate at first? (laughs) 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 I didn't realize when I asked you, it would be like, God, Logan Gilbert was the worst. And then he ended up being pretty cool. I probably should have thought that one through Paul. No, you get to, I mean, you obviously get to know people better that maybe your first impression, you didn't know that about them, but I haven't, I haven't thought, you know, God, I'm not, I'm really not going to like that guy. Right. And then ended up being friends. That's, you know, we don't have, we don't have those kinds of guys on the team. 
uh, moves are made during the off season, and and a lot of them are made when guys are apart, right? You're in a different part of the country. Everyone's doing their thing. When you got the news that Teoscar Hernandez was going to join the squad, how did you find out, and and what was your first reaction? Well, first and foremost, you know, Eric Swanson has been a reliever with me the last two years. It was kind of difficult. It, you know, it's a business. That's just the way it is. But it was kind of, you know, you talk about friends and. You know, as a relief pitcher the last two years, Eric and I have obviously spent a lot of time together and play cards on the plane together and usually go to dinner together. So that was, you know, my first reaction was like, gosh, it's tough when you lose a friend like that. Right. Uh, but ultimately, the goal, my goal is to go to the World Series with this team. And Teoscar Hernandez gives us an amazing chance to do that. Anyone who watched any of the playoff games, no, he, he almost single-handedly kept us from going <laughs> past the AL, AL wildcard round. So uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure everybody's excited to have him on the team. I've faced him since 2016 in AAA, and we've gone to battle quite quite a few times, and I just texted him and kind of was like, God, man, it's, it's going to be good not to have to face you anymore. I'm going to enjoy having you on the team. And, <laughs> and he jokingly kind of said the same thing, and it's like, He's gotten me a couple times. I've gotten him a few times. It's just one of those things. But, you know, overall, I think he's going to be in a great addition. And and Seattle fans are going to really enjoy having him in right field and and mashing homers into into Edgar's. What's it like having a guy like him on your team? Do you guys talk about at-bats and what you were thinking and get into the details? Or you kind of just acknowledge it and move on and say, okay, we're on the same squad now? You know, when you're on the same team, it's – the major leagues are so difficult because somebody could get traded tomorrow. So you can't give every secret away right. because I could be on a different team. And then it's like, damn, I just told everybody exactly what I like to do against them. And then I got to face the Mariners <laughs> next week. You know, when you think about like when we traded Kendall Graveman and then we face us, you know, a couple of days later, it's kind of like, that's such a weird feeling. Um, so you can't give away every secret, but you, you know, you kind of just talk about like, Hey, here's, you know, here's what I've seen the last week. You know, when I've watched your bats as a reliever, I get to watch a lot of a game without playing in it. You know, it gives me, you know, a couple of innings to kind of watch like, Hey man, like I just saw this is what pitchers are doing, you know, because everyone's focused on themselves. Maybe it's harder. It's easier to see from the outside. You know, everyone's, everyone's a great pitching coach or hitting coach from their couch, but I kind of get that opportunity for the first five innings. And, you know, if, you know, somebody can, if somebody asked me, I can kind of say, Hey, here's what I see. Like as a pitcher, I would do this to you. Mm-hmm. If I had these pitches, maybe, you know, maybe that's what the league is looking at. You know, the league makes adjustments very quickly. So if you can make adjustments as quick as the league does, then, you know, you you put yourself in, in the right situation. All right. Well, Paul, we are so happy for you that you got some time away from baseball, time with your family, time with your little girl. And uh, selfishly, though, we are really happy that you're back at spring training. Not only that, that you were kind enough to join us and give us some insight into some of these new rules. I feel like we both understand it a little more from a pitcher's perspective. And, and that means a ton. He is Paul Seawald. Paul, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on, guys. We're excited for spring training as well. <laughs> That's good to hear, man. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. You All right. He is pitcher Paul Sewell, kind enough to join us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline from spring training. Mariners out there now in Peoria. Pitchers and catchers out there officially reporting tomorrow. Let's get to four down territory. This is four down territory. Going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down bump every NFL team now has a head coach. Of all the moves made, which new head coach found himself in the best situation? Well, the most high-profile coach was Sean Payton. He's over there mm-hmm. with 
possibly a future Hall of Famer, Russell Wilson. You got Jared Judy. You got Sutton. They will return. But the running back position is up in the air, right? You have uh, Murray, who is a free agent. So who you going after? You got Hunt, Penny, Jacobs, Williams, Sanders. All those guys are free agents. How aggressive are they going to be when it comes to finding a running back over there? They have the number seven defense in the league returning. So he, he has something to work with there. Another coach, you got D'Amico Ryans over there from the Niners. What they have, the 31st defense overall, excuse me, offense in the 29th defense overall. He's got a lot of work to do, but he does have the second in the 12th overall pick. Then you got the Panthers. You got Frank Reich over there. I like this guy over there with the Carolina Panthers. They have the ninth pick overall, the number 10 rushing offense. We know all about that rushing offense, the number 24 passing offense. With that ninth overall pick and that, uh, that what, he has a second and a third round pick and a fourth round pick, they might make some moves to try to climb up and get yeah. a quarterback over there. Then you have the Cardinals. They have a new head coach over there. You have a franchise quarterback. You think your center is a free agent. Byron Murphy in that backfield, excuse me, that secondary is a free agent. And you have the third overall pick. And then you have the Colts. They have a new head coach. I look at these situations, and it's easy to say Sean Payton because he has weapons over there. If guys are healthy, mm-hmm. they look good. But I look at the Panthers, and I say, you know what? They have an established run game over there. Their defense isn't the greatest, but they have some capital to move up over there. I like the Panthers because of their picks and because of the division that they are in. Right, Frank Wright might have just landed in a nice little situation. All he has to do is win win the division, and they are in the playoffs, which is extremely possible. I talked about Atlanta yesterday and how I like Desmond Ritter, but I think these guys are going to go after a quarterback. Frank Wright is good with quarterbacks. I like the Panthers. You've been low-key, not high on the Panthers, because you've said that the weakest division in football next year is going to be the NFC South. No surprise there, but you have of the NFC South team said, look, it's whoever gets the quarterback first is the closest, but you like the Panthers. Like I think you like overall them as a more complete team if there is a thing in the NFC South compared to the others. Yeah, I do. Um, I feel like if they do find a quarterback, they're good to go. Yeah. I like the run game. They have a star receiver over there in DJ Moore. They're a, a quiet, they're a secret in the yeah. NFL. You have to respect them. They're a team that you cannot overlook at all. And I think with Frank Reich, if he does get his quarterback, that team could be dangerous. Totally agree. It makes me look at them differently every time you talk about them. Second down. All right, let's talk Drew Locke. Why is Locke so important to the future of the Seahawks? It's crazy. This dude is extremely important. Okay, Houseway. Houseway. This is how he's important. Because if you don't work out a deal with Geno, then you figure out you're going to go out and get a quarterback, and you need your backup plan. Drew Locke will have the advantage on whoever they bring in. I'm not talking about talent-wise, just knowing the playbook, having relationships, and who are you going to get? We talked about all the available quarterbacks that are veterans over there. Um, there's no one who is available rather than Derek Carr, and we'll see what Aaron Rodgers does, that is going to come over and just say, okay, it's my job. I think Drew Locke has the advantage there. And if say you do get Geno, you still need a back of a quarterback. You still need some familiarity over there. So I look at Drew Locke, and I'm not going to make the same mistake I made last year and just overlook this dude. I think he has talent. I think he needs to be signed. I think he will be signed. So whether you move on from Geno or not, you need a backup plan or you need a guy who's going to push that starter. Drew Locke can do that just because he's been here and he's familiar with his offense. Third down. Oh, Bump, I know you're excited about this one. The USFL (laughs) and XFL are adopting a new rule this spring. What's the rule, and why do you love it? In the NFL, if I have the football, I'm running for a touchdown. I'm at the the 15, 
the 10, the 5, and I fumble, and it goes to the back of the end zone. What happens? Uh, Touchback. Touchback, and then the D, the other team gets the ball mm-hmm. on the 20. Never really made sense to me. What no. did they do to Double. earn that football? You I fumble. My bad. Yeah. And then you get the ball, and you get yards. Yeah. So they're getting rid of that in the XFL and the USFL. What they're going to do is wherever the young man fumbles the football, if it goes to the back of the end zone where the football occurred, where the fumble occurred, that's where you get the ball. Because it's crazy. If he fumbles out that of bounds. That would happen any other place on the field. Any other place. Any other place. Except the end zone. So I'm like, what's the difference there? Now, I realize this rule has been around for a very, very long time. But the NFL, they're not really proactive when it comes to stuff like that. They're reactive, right? Something drastic has to happen to Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs lose the Super Bowl because of that. Then they make a move. So I like that the XFL and USSFL, they're trying something different. And it just makes sense to me. You fumble the ball, you get it back where you fumbled. If the other team did not recover, Mm It's just too easy. I still remember Earl Thomas forcing a fumble out of, uh, I forget whose hands, against the Rams out in L.A. at the time. And I I remember that. It was Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley. I still remember that because it was, I knew the rule, but then that's when it became like a big conversation among Seahawks Twitters for, for a brief moment there. Fourth down. Andy Reid made halftime adjustments and took advantage of the extra 10-plus minutes they were given. Should the NFL extend halftimes? This is why I think they should. Oh. The Chiefs were down 10 points at halftime. Yes. I'm not saying Andy Reid doesn't make adjustments in a regular season game or a, a game where you don't have that long halftime, but he was able to make even more adjustments. And what I love about football, that is chestnut checkers. It's constantly changing. It's constantly moving. You're trying to scheme up. You're trying to exploit matchups. It just allows coaches to really coach, allow them to do their thing, man. It just makes for a better game. If you talk to any prominent coach on any single level, it's all about adjustments. Why not let coaches, head coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators set their team up yeah. to be successful? It's all about strategy in football. I love the strategy in football. So um, I look at Andy Reid and I go, my man has some time to figure some things out. And you see what they did. Third quarter, they come out, they run the ball four times. They're, they're dumping it off to McKinnon. They're getting Juju involved. Right? They're running their... Their, 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 uh, their fake motion back to the flats. They had time to say, okay, this is what we prepare for. This is what we're going to do. And on the other on the other end, the Philly, Philly had to prepare for what was going to happen. I just love the strategy in football, and this allows coaches to put their players in the best position possible. I'm not saying it needs to be a Super Bowl-type halftime. At five out there. minutes? Yeah, at five minutes. At five minutes. Because half the time, these coaches are running down the stairs trying to get to the locker room. They barely have any time to make those adjustments. I love strategy. Extend that halftime a little bit. It could make for better games in that last part. So important to add because we're up in the press box watching. Those coaches are up there in those booths next to us down the hallway. So when you want to talk about players going to the locker room, the coaches, their position coaches or sometimes coordinators aren't always there with them. Sometimes they're up there with us. They got to run down, catch Mm -hmm. the elevator, go all the way down. And it's one elevator, by the way. It's one elevator. So so sometimes you have to wait. Uh, Knock off five minutes. Halftime isn't really 15, right? Go ahead and make it 20. Let's do that. I like that. All right, don't forget to catch the debut episode of The John Schneider Show tomorrow, 4 p.m., Wyman and Bob. The Seahawks GM will be on every single Thursday between now and the first round of the draft, which is on a Thursday. That's right. You're going to hear from John Schneider on day one of the NFL draft. That's The John Schneider Show tomorrow, 4 p.m., with Wyman and Bob. Coming up, the craziest story in sports is one you probably haven't heard of. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy, Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA.
It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy telling you about the top stories that are going to show up on your timeline that you need to know about in the world of sports. And we're going to start with one that you may not have heard about uh, because the latest update came in just before the Super Bowl. But it is maybe the craziest story happening in sports right now. So here we go. You may have seen a tweet on February 11th that read as follows. New Mexico State University is suspending operations for the men's basketball program until further notice. Now, there were additional details, though, but imagine seeing, hey, Washington State suspending the men's basketball program until further notice. That's <laughs> that's huge news. Yeah. Right. Huge. The season is not over. They still have games to play. And yet there was an announcement that the men's basketball program is being suspended until further notice. Why? A couple things. It goes all the way back to November, um, though the uh, a, a more recent story is uh, what fueled the suspension of the program. So back in November, an Aggies player uh, named Mike Peak shot and killed another University of New Mexico student while New Mexico State was in Albuquerque. Um, the player is said to have acted in self-defense. Um, there was a fight that's, uh, that happened before this where the player who ended up being killed, or excuse me, the, the student who ended up uh, being shot, Brandon Travis, uh, was reportedly seeking revenge for some kind of incident at another game. So there's some kind of altercation issue, whatever, uh, that predated this moment. But uh, the player, Mike Peake, is lured outside of the building where he is maybe going to be jumped or attacked or whatever, and he shoots this student. This student dies and uh, then the player, Mike Peake, meets up with three teammates, puts the gun, his phone, and a tablet into the trunk of the car. And the state police are obviously looking for this stuff, right? Hey, you just shot and killed someone. We, mm-hmm. need, to, we need to find this stuff. Uh, it became clear very quickly that the New Mexico State men's basketball coaching staff was hiding that evidence. Crazy. Like keeping that evidence on a team bus. So uh, coaches didn't return repeated messages. The team bus leaves Albuquerque without alerting police that they've left. An officer pulls the bus over and then an assistant coach turns over the tablet, which still has blood on it from the shooting. So the coaches said, this is all from uh, a report in The Athletic, by the way. The coaches said they didn't know where the phone was. He hid three things, the gun, the phone, the tablet. Uh, The coaches said they didn't know where the phone was, even though it turned up hours later in the home of an assistant athletic director who was on the bus. Goodness gracious. This is the first part of the story, Bob. We're we're only about a quarter of the way through. We're only a quarter of the way through. But here's here's what you need to know. Your reaction to a murder occurs. And now this is I'm going to there are legal definitions here. Right. Where is it premeditated? Is it whatever? All you need to know is a uh, University of New Mexico basketball player shoots and kills another student. Then hides the gun, the phone, a tablet, and a trunk with three other players. Those items make their way onto the team bus. Only after being pulled over by police do the coaching uh, staff members turn over the tablet. So the coaches were aware of this, we're assuming, that this went down. And then they helped um, hide evidence. The thing that I struggle with or I'm struggling with with this Mm -hmm. story is that, especially in college, as coaches, Mm -hmm. you are leaders of young men and you're preparing them for life after college and after basketball or whatnot. So what are you teaching them by hiding evidence and concealing it, then hopping on the bus and not talking yep. to the police? Now, I understand it's a scary situation. And I'm not, and humans react in different ways in situations like this. But 
the best thing to do in this situation is just be upfront and honest, especially if you believe and feel as your player acted in self-defense. Yes. Sloppy all the way around. No lessons being learned here. Coaches need to take a bit more responsibility in this situation. They do. And yet they don't because the story continues. So the head coach at the time, Greg Heyer, uh, he is told by Albuquerque PD that Albuquerque PD wants to question players. Because don't forget, not only did a player shoot people, but he met up or a person, excuse me, but he then met up with three other players. So four players maybe wanting to be questioned uh, are going to be questioned by Albuquerque PD. Greg Heyer insists the team continue with the road trip. Just ignores this request from police. Uh, so they hide the weapons, ignore requests from police, hit the road again, and, uh, and then they, they continue on with their road trip. Um, when they uh, return to the university, the coaching staff is not punished. They're also not punished by police. The season continues until this past Friday. That's when that announcement came out. Why did the announcement come out? Because this shooting and the hiding of evidence is not the only thing also happening. It was reported this week that three players are alleged to have participated in hazing another player. And the hazing was uh, very violent. Um, I read the police report. It's uh, there was sexual in nature. There's se- it's sexual in nature. It involves a lot of unwanted touching. Yeah. And uh, it the player is very clearly uncomfortable with it. Does not like it. And I think is under the impression that it may have happened to another player. Either way, there's hazing. There's all this stuff going on. Greg Heyer doesn't have a handle on anything, and not only that, but seems to be either ignoring it or uh, participating in covering it up. And so finally, Greg Heyer is fired yesterday as a result of everything. Man, so you combined what happened in Albuquerque and then you combine the hazing. Here's the thing with a hazing. Murder too. And hazing. A murder. A murder, a murder and, hazing. and hazing. And here's the thing with hazing, man. This isn't back in the day. Back in the day, there was hazing going on. It was accepted. This is something that guys expected sure. to happen to you. We just live in a different world mm-hmm. today. The most hazing I ever got was okay. Take my pass into the locker room for me. That's the type of hazing that should be going on right now. So when you put these two stories together, all I see, all I hear is a head coach who has no control over his program. A head coach who aided in um, hiding evidence or whatnot. A head coach that did not make it clear that this is how we respect and treat our underclassmen. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he should be fired. You know, even if this even if he's a good guy. Even if he has a, a a good track record, right? He won a national championship for junior college uh, basketball in Florida, I believe. He brings over some players. He's there to change the program. A guy like him, you hire him to change the program, and he left it uh, in in worse conditions. So that it all lies on leadership. It all lies on a head coach. That athletic director needs to have something to do with it as well. It just sounds like chaos, and there's no leadership and no control over that program. I'm going to throw one final, final, final wrinkle in. Here's Cole Harvey, Coley Harvey on ESPN. Hires firing came mere hours after his prized prospect announced that he was no longer signing with New Mexico State and was instead reopening his recruitment. That heralded recruit is Darius Carr, and Carr told me that with so much going on around the New Mexico State program right now, the time felt right to see if he could latch on with another school. I've also heard from now former Aggies guard Shahar Lazar. Lazar left the program one day after allegations of hazing in the team became public. Lazar told me that he can't celebrate any of his coaches being fired but he certainly hopes that they will learn something from this entire situation. Everything is a mess. Well, that sounds like <laughs> they were holding out hope that this recruit would stick to his commitment with New Mexico State going into next season. Yes. 
that's a, that's an administration issue is what that is because because no you think they don't get co- fired if that also doesn't happen correct okay. I, no administration should ever ever hold out hope that a recruit like we saw it here in washington when michael porter jr and his brother committed to washington during lorenzo romar's final season it's like well we can't fire lorenzo romar we've got these great recruits commit uh, committed it's like no you can fire him and you should not like hitch your wagon to these recruits that are possibly good for your program like New Mexico State has a systemic issue, clearly, with their coaching staff and with their administration. They need to clean house there. Like, they need to absolutely clean house. Firing this coaching staff was a great start, but, like, I don't think that's the end of their problems. Well, what's really sad, and Bump, I'll let you have the final word on this one since we have to wrap up here. What's really sad is all of this happened, and... It was allowed to happen for so long. That initial story that I reported of Mike Peak, one of the players shooting another University of New Mexico student, happened in November. Sweeping things un- under the rug and having different kind of motives. It sounds like the most important thing here was for them to try to build a successful program and not lead and guide young men. I'm with Curtis. It starts yep. at the top. You got a clean house. It's, uh, it's all bad over there. Uh, all right. I got some Pac-12 news coming your way in just a little bit, and then we're going to bring on Grant Brandon Gustafson for a Mariners Roundtable. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. All right, some bad news for the Pac-12, but let's figure out where they can go from here. Brett McMurphy of the Action Network reports that CBS and Turner Sports have pulled out of a media rights negotiation with the Pac-12. Where does that leave them? Well, still looking for a media partner and quickly, quickly running out of options. Um, Here's uh, some of the latest from... um, Two uh, reporters, uh, they have a podcast. I've just got some notes from it. Uh, Andrew Marchand and John Arand. Um, they talk about the Big 12's deal and uh, why it's led to the Pac-12 struggling to get a media deal done. I'm just going to read you what they have to say about the remaining options. So Fox, they say, most likely won't partner with the Pac-12 unless it's for pennies on the dollar. If Amazon is a partner, it's also going to be a cheap deal because they're not going to pay nearly as much as they did, obviously, for Thursday Night Football. And Amazon may also still have its eyes on something for the NBA or NASCAR, so they're not going to go crazy with the Pac-12. You've also got maybe Disney ESPN as an option, but uh, according to Sports Illustrated in an earnings call last week, Disney CEO Bob Iger said ESPN will have to become more selective on media rights, which means that if a deal does get done, it's also going to be very cheap. The last remaining option here, unless there's some kind of other wild card, is Apple which might be fine, although it's strictly a streaming service and you wouldn't have um, the like cable option there. So Pac-12, either looking at a really, really cheap deal with Amazon, maybe ESPN slash Disney, or looking at a streaming kind of service with Apple+. Plus. Man, the, the mess of part about this is that CBS and Turner, they pull out, right? They own TBS and TNT. Yeah. They don't cover college football. Imagine getting a deal with them. You are the college football mm-hmm. conference for that network. You fall off there. I'm listening to all this, and I'm watching it go down, and it reminds me of someone just showing up late to a party. Like The yeah. party's been going on. It's been fun. You're Not having a great time. Way. Yeah, no, you're, you're too late. Not fashionably late. Yeah. Like everyone, They're cleaning up. The, the climax is done. Yeah, right? it's <laughs> over. It's over. People are walking out of the party. You're showing up like, what about me? Like, what, what, what do we have here? And I just look at... 
the leadership. Now, you always have to start up top. Kleokov, I'm saying his name right, right? Kleokov, um, yeah. Kleokov, excuse me. No disrespect. Um, Curtis mentioned this during the break. He's not in administration, right? There are some things he's learning on the job in some ways. You know what I'm saying? And it's all about who you surround yourself with and what advice you're getting and how aggressive you want to be. Now, he inherited inherited a mess. Like It was a mess. For 10 years, the Pac-12 has struggled to get their games on TV and make it easy for them to get it on TV. So if this deal does go down, it sounds like we read an article that said whether well, 99% sure that they're going to have to roll with a streaming service, probably Amazon. You get this deal done, you've done exactly nothing. You've done nothing. You still made it hard for people to see your conference play. What is that going to do to recruiting? It's going to hurt. Guys want to go where they're going to be seen on TV. So they're just late. They, they've, been, they've been dragging their, their, their feet. They've been taking their time. They haven't been aggressive enough. The Big Sky has a deal with ESPN. They've had a deal with ESPN um, at the start of last season. Like, How were they so proactive and the Pac-12 hasn't been that proactive? So you're losing your two storied universities, USC, UCLA. You lose them. You don't have a deal done. Looks like you're going to streaming. It's going to be tough to sustain the prestige that the Pac-12 once had. Well, not even sustain it, to try to get it back. That's your goal right now. To recapture it. This is what's so frustrating about it, too, is, Curtis, I can't remember if we had an interview with Klyovkov when he was first hired, but... Uh, We did not. We certainly played sound from one where Klyovkov made it very clear the number one priority, Bump, you don't even have to second-guess this one, you already know, was to get that media rights deal Mm -hmm. established, to figure out what you're going to do with the media rights deal, right? Because that's where the Pac-12 was in trouble. They didn't have the exposure they needed. They were in a in a bind already with where Larry Scott had gotten them and here comes you know George trying to figure it out and trying to get right he knew that was the number one thing yeah you got college football playoff expansion you want to try to you know push for that because you're going to get more Pac-12 schools in there yeah you got you know do you have other expansion you know what do you do there the number one thing was going to be media rights man that was it and he was supposed to change that you're coming from MGM Las Vegas you understand what uh, what it is to be in front of people, what it is to present a product that is attractive, that get people to watch and to listen and to be invested and be interested in what you're doing. And coming from the era of when I was in the Pac-10 at the time, it's disturbing. I remember growing up, UC- USC balling, Cal balling, um, UCLA balling, mm-hmm. Stanford balling, Washington State dipping in and out of that thing, UW having their time. And it was so easy to watch these games. I turn on ABC, boom, we're watching that. I get to hear Keith Jackson, Go Cougs, um, describe games. And it's just unfortunate that 10 years of inefficiency has set this pack, set the Pac-12 up for failure for the next four to five seasons. It's going to take a lot to get over this thing. And like you mentioned, objective number one was to be seen, was to be heard. And we failed at that. Now, there are details that we don't know. There are things that happen when the elites are sitting at the table and trying to make decisions that we just don't know. But what we do know is that they have not done enough to save this conference, and I'm extremely concerned. Why do we think the deal fell through with CBS and Turner? Do we think that the Pac-12 was asking for too much? Do we think that they got a better offer? Do we think, I mean, do we know what happened here other than Brett McMurphy just saying, hey, CBS and Turner have pulled out of the deal? I mean, we can speculate. Sorry, not pulled out of the deal. I would assume it comes down to money. I would assume that the Pac-12 wanted an offer that Turner was like, you're not worth that much. Like we don't, we're not going to benefit from that. You always have to come to an agreement to where both sides feel like they've not won the deal, but they're getting something out of it. And they probably 
value the Pac-12 less than what the Pac-12 value themselves at. Which is frustrating because that was the Pac-12's problem for so many years. The Pac-12, under Larry Scott, overvalued itself exactly. and needed to realize how far behind it was behind uh, other the other Power Five conferences. And instead of recognizing that it needed to be able to prove itself once again and prove mm-hmm. that its product was great and put its product out there, it was just kind of like, we'll sit and wait for people to come to us. Arrogance. Yes, it was a very arrogant, mm-hmm. arrogant leadership at the top. Curtis, I knew that drove you crazy, too. Yes, absolutely. Where they kind of like, well, we're the Pac-10. Our our brand should sell itself. And it's like, nah, man, like you guys are down right now. You guys have been down for almost a decade. Like there's some digging you got to do to get yourself back up. Like you got to do some hard work here to, to get yourself back to the respectable level they used to be like you can't just go off of reputation alone anymore because your reputation is is nothing compared to the big 10 and the sec and the acc and the big 12 like it's not even close it's just so frustrating to know that they um a year ago but certainly even several months ago had more options than they do now and still don't have anything done yeah it is and what's even insult to injury you got the Heisman Trophy winner in the conference right now, and he gone. <laughs> that the whole program is gone after this year. Oh, not even that. Are you going to have like the number one pick in the in the draft next year? Although Probably. that would also be from the last season. Yeah. But still, uh, all right. Well, that is the latest that you guys need to know about the conference. Brett McMurphy of the Action Network reporting CBS and Turner Sports have pulled out of media rights negotiations with the Pac-12. All of us are graduates of Pac-12 programs and care about this conference now, the Pac-10, and uh, we just want the best for it. Some a bit of a bummer news today, though. So. Let's have a pick-me-up. Brandon Gustafson is going to join us. Uh, We're going to have a bit of a Mariners roundtable, talk about spring training, everything we're excited about. Some questions lingering for the Mariners, but mostly get you guys hyped up because spring is just around the corner. Don't go anywhere.